According to Christianity Today, God answers our prayers in several ways. They listed five of them. I'll list them for you. First of which is this, no, I love you too much. Meaning, what you're asking for is not my will for you. Sometimes God says that. Secondly, yes, but you'll have to wait. In other words, this is not the right time for what you're asking. Thirdly, yes, but not what you expected, meaning I have a different way of answering, a different way of answering your request. Fourthly, yes, and here is more. I'll give you more over and above what you, in fact, requested. And fifthly, yes, I thought you'd never ask, meaning finally, finally you've come around to asking what I wanted you to ask. Now, last week, we heard Habakkuk whining and complaining to God about his being unhearing, uncaring, and unbending. Today, we are going to hear God respond. You see, it's one thing for you to vent to God. It's another thing for God to answer. And God answered him, the response uh, being found in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So God, in fact, answers. Look, he says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. When Habakkuk heard that, this was his response. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And then God speaks again. He says to Habakkuk, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Surely it will come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So God responds to Habakkuk in three different ways, um, if you'd notice in our text. First of which is this. If you only knew what I was up to. In other words, you've been whining, you've been complaining, but you have not a clue of what I am up to. So God says to him, look and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now some people look at the bad stuff, all of the bad stuff that, are, that is happening in the world, and they conclude that God has a hands-off approach. He has withdrawn himself from the world. He does not, does not want to have anything to do with the world. He has a hands-off approach. That's what some people think. Others look at the bad stuff that is happening in the world, and they remind themselves, as we do today, that God is in control. Habakkuk looked at the bad stuff happening in his world, and he whined that God can't hear, God doesn't care, and God won't bend. 
God looks at the bad stuff that is happening in our world and he declares, I am still in control. Look and see for yourself, he says. I am doing something in your day that you would not believe even if somebody told you so. Now look and see the Israeli-Hamas conflict and its humanitarian crisis. While the majority are villainizing Israel and sympathizing with Hamas. Look and see the carnage from the growing number of mass shootings, even as people quickly assert their, first, their Second Amendment rights. Look and see how the politics of left and right continues to demonize fellow human beings and divide our nation even as we prepare for another presidential election. Look and see how fewer and fewer people are bothering to attend church these days, even as church pundits predict that church attendance will not return to pre-COVID levels. Look and see how cultural trends are coarsening, natural disasters are worsening, and geopolitical tensions are increasing. But as you look at these political, cultural, spiritual, and national giants that are marching through the land, God says, be amazed. But don't be amazed by what you see, because what you see is very depressing. But be amazed by what I am doing, because I am still working in your day. I am working even while the giants of evil and chaos are marching through your land. I am up to something in your day, and you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe what I'm up to, even if somebody told you. Now, often it may not seem to us like God is doing anything, but I assure you, even as the sun is shining so brightly outside today, and I hope it continues throughout uh, the remainder of uh, this um, fall and winter season, I assure you that God is up to something. I can't say that I know what he's up to, but I assure you that God is up to something. Hold on to hope and live by faith, even as you see giants that are marching through your land. God is still in control. Now, Pastor recalled seeing a picture of an old burnt-out mountain shack, and all that remained was the chimney and the charred debris of what used to be this family's only possession. In front of the, the destroyed home stood an old grandfather-looking man dressed only in his underclothes. There was a little boy crying while clutching his patched overalls. Beneath the picture were the words that the artist imagined the old man was saying to the boy. These simple words were these, Hush, child, God ain't dead. Hush, child, stop your whining. God ain't dead. I believe that God may very well have been telling Habakkuk as he whined and complained to him, Hush, child, God ain't dead. I'm still working. I am still up to something. I'm still doing something in your day that you wouldn't believe even if somebody told you so. When Habakkuk heard that, 
This was his response. He said, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, what God will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now notice that Habakkuk uses the language of a watchman whose duty it was to station himself on the highest place of the city walls to watch out for approaching danger and to sound the alarm so that the people in his city might be warned. Habakkuk decides that he would stop whining and finally begin to listen to what God has to say to him. Now, he has already vented to God concerning what he and his people were going through, but he realizes that it is not enough to vent to God. He must now listen, pause, stop, become silent, listen to what God has to say. I believe that if our church is to, is to survive, it will need both venters as well as listeners. People who will vent to God in prayer, but also people who will listen to what God has to say and then be able to tell others what God is saying and doing so that they might have hope. We cannot survive on stories of what God used to do way back when. That is always good. It encourages us. It, it reminds us that God was at work. But we cannot survive only on stories of what God used to do. Our church also needs to hear what God is doing and saying in our day, even as giants are marching through our land. And how else will we hear from God apart from crying out to him and asking him to do in our day what he did long ago and then listening for what God has to say. Now, while Habakkuk was in his watchtower, he prayed a prayer that is dying out in our churches. We seldom pray it anymore. But we desperately need to pray this prayer when we see the giants of evil and chaos marching through our land. Now, I won't, I won't go too much into the prayer because Pastor Ben will cover this in next Sunday's message as he preaches from chapter 3. And I don't want to steal his thunder, but I just, I just want you to allow me to introduce you to the prayer that Habakkuk prayed. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. He prayed, Lord, I have heard of your fame. In other words, I have heard of the things that you did way back when that made you famous. And when I hear them, I stand in awe of your deeds. But then he goes on to say, Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So it is not enough to hear and be amazed by stories of what God did way back then. We must be collectively and continually asking God to repeat in our day what he did at Aldersgate, what he did at Azusa Street, what he did at Asbury, what he did during the Great Awakening. 
And I believe that one of my most important jobs and responsibilities as a pastor is to mobilize you to not cease in asking God to let us see a Brown's Chapel revival. Even while the giants of evil and chaos are marching through our land. Maybe, just maybe, we will hear God respond to us by saying, I thought you'd never ask. God's second answer to Habakkuk was this, I have appointed a set time. So he says to him, while, I'm sorry, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Now, God often spoke to people in visions. Vision is God allowing you to see something that gives you a glimpse into what he plans to do in the future. So he reveals it to you in a vision. So God gives Habakkuk a vision and he tells him, write down what you see in the vision. Write down the giants of evil and chaos that you see marching through your land. The giants of Arrogance and greed and drunkenness and nakedness and deceit and bloodshed and even death. You find that long list in Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 5 through 20. I just kind of pulled that out rather than having to read through the entire text. But they're all listed there, those giants. Write them down. Write down that these giants are actually King Nebuchadnezzar and his powerful Babylonian army. They will march through your land with their lewdness, their violence, and their killing. Write it down in plain language so whoever reads it may understand and be ready to face these giants because they will terrorize your land, God says to them, to Habakkuk, I'm sorry. They will plunder your nation. They will take you into exile where you will be exposed to foreign gods, detestable practices, and unfamiliar customs. And while you're in exile, you will think that God has abandoned you. You will long to be back in church singing those songs of worship that you used to sing when you worshiped with others at Brown's Chapel. You know that Brown's Chapel is not in the Bible. I just lifted it out. But in Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4, this psalm captures what the exiles would be longing for as they were away from home in an unfamiliar country, missing their home country and missing their temple. And this is what they did as they sat down. They said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. When we remembered how we used to be sitting next to each other, worshiping and singing those songs of Zion. On the willows, there we hung our harps, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now, there's nothing like the embarrassment that you feel 
when your enemies taunt you that the very God whom you've been faithful in serving can't deliver you. That he's incapable of helping you. But you know, there was something else that God wanted Habakkuk to write down as well. He wanted him to write down that there would be an appointed time when he would deliver them from exile and from the suffering that they would experience in a strange country. God wanted Habakkuk to write down that he had appointed a time after they had suffered and endured all of that embarrassment and shame and suffering in a foreign country, God himself would deliver them. But you know, even though that time would be long in coming, because obviously it was not something that God was going to do overnight, even though it, was, it would be long in coming, it would surely come. They would suffer, but they could still have hope in their suffering. You know why? Because of this promise that God gave them. It's in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Therefore, let the earth keep silence before him. In other words, God is still in his temple. And if he is still in his temple, then that means that God is still accessible. And if he's still accessible, then I must take advantage of the opportunity of coming before him and pouring out my heart to him. Some of you today may feel that you are exiled from God. You don't feel as connected to God as you used to be. You wonder if God has abandoned you and left you to face on your own giants that are too powerful for you. You feel like your life is slowly ebbing away and God seems so very far away. But let me remind you this morning that God is still in his temple. And if God is still in his temple, God is still in control and he is still accessible. God has appointed a time for your deliverance, but you may have to wait for it. You may feel like what you want to give up, but God says, wait for it. You may be saying to yourself, I've been waiting too long. How much longer can I wait? But God says, wait a little longer. It will come. And as you wait, choose to allow God to refine you in the process, because very often that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to refine our faith. He wants to refine us so that when he will have brought us out, he will bring us out as pure gold. I wonder what God might be asking you to write down this morning so that when he finally brings you out, you may be able to cross-check it with what you've written down and see that God does not lie, that he's faithful. Whatever he says that he will do, he will do. God has set an appointed time for your deliverance. Wait for it. I believe many of you know the great theologian, Dr. Seuss. Many of you know him. He has a poem. He has a poem entitled, yeah, Dr. Seuss. He has a poem entitled, The Waiting Place. Have you ever read that one? The Waiting Place. And it reads like this. It says, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the sun to, or the snow to snow. Or waiting around for yes for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. 
it's like me here probably I'm doing that. Everyone, he says, is just waiting. If God has you in the waiting place, wait for it. But also wait for him. Here's a third, the third way that God answered Habakkuk. Said to him, I want you, Habakkuk, I want you to learn to live by faith. He says, behold, his soul, and by his soul he's referring to um, King Nebuchadnezzar, but his soul is puffed up within him. It is not upright within him at all, but the righteous, you who are righteous, shall live by faith. Now may I see your hands if you are righteous because you have declared yourselves to be righteous? Can I see your hand? Nobody. May I see your hands if if you're righteous because God has declared you to be righteous? Amen. Not by anything that we have done, but by what he has done. He has made us righteous. Now this command that, that God gave to Habakkuk is also for us who are righteous, whom he has made righteous. God is saying to us, as he said to Habakkuk, learn to live by faith. Not by what you see, not by how you feel, but by faith. I'm told that faith is the the substance of things hoped for, even while you don't see the evidence manifesting itself. And so faith is confidence that God is up to something, even though you even though what you see doesn't really align itself with what you are convinced that God will do. Faith is confidence that God is up to something, even though what you see with your eyes doesn't really align itself with what God has promised you that he will do. That is faith. Faith is confidence in God's promise to do the impossible even when your body has long passed the stage where it was possible. Go ask Abraham and Sarah. Faith is confidence that God will deliver you from whatever fiery furnace you find yourself into, a furnace that has been heated seven times its normal temperature. The confidence that God will deliver you from that fiery furnace and saying anyway that even, God, even if you don't deliver me, I still will be faithful to you. That is faith. God, I believe that you can, but even if you won't, that does not change my mind about you one iota. Faith is confidence that doing something as ridiculous as marching seven times around a wall will cause it to collapse. And if anything in scripture was laughable, it was that. That God had asked his people to march around a wall seven times and then to shout on the final day and that the wall would collapse. But it did, because God said so. Faith is confidence that the God who commands me to lay my only son on an altar can raise him back to life give him back to me. Because you see, what God is after is not really our son, but our faith. To see how much we are prepared to trust him. Faith is being confident that even though I face some fearsome giant, God can strike him dead with the one stone that I have in my sling. 
That is faith. Faith is being confident that even though the waters have come up to my neck, God will not allow them to come over my head. That was God's promise to David, the psalmist David. So, Habakkuk was not going to see God turn things around for him overnight, even though he had told him that things would change. He was not going to see God do it overnight. He was going to have to wait for it. He was not going to see the giants immediately disappear from his land. He was going to have to wait for it. He was not going to see God wave a magic wand and suddenly make everything change. He was going to have to wait for it. He was going to have to learn to live by faith while he waited. And God is calling us who are righteous to, to do no less, to live by faith, to trust, to trust that God is able. Which brings me to the bottom line of our message this morning, that God may often have you wait for him to act, to answer and to act. God may, God may often have you wait for him to answer and for him to act. I have four application questions to ask you this morning. Is God asking you to pray the prayer of repentance this morning? Is he, is he asking you to come to a place where you finally recognize all along that you have not been living a life that is in accordance with what he wants you to live? And that he wants you to pray a prayer that acknowledges that and asks his forgiveness? that is the case, please go ahead and do that. Secondly, is God asking you to trust him even though you can't trace him? I liked it when, as a little boy in school when, you know, you had these, I don't know what you used to call them, or what you would call them, but you had these little books and the paper was thin enough for you to be able to look through and see a picture underneath. Yes, uh, Diane knows exactly. Do you have those in school too, Diane? You did. You don't think they have? Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Probably they, don't, they probably don't have those anymore. But I love to be able to do that because, you see, you can actually trace that thing there, and it looks like you can pass it off as your own original drawing. I think sometimes we would love to be able to trace God to know how he works and why he works the way he does. But we can't do that. Because if we were able to do that, then we would be God because we'd be greater than God. We could predict God's every move, and yet we can't. Is God asking you to trust him with something? Even though you can't trace him, you can't figure out how he will make it work or how he will do it but he's asking you to trust him through it. Thirdly, is God asking you to listen to what he has to say to you? We are all such experts at telling God how we feel and what we want him to do for us and to complain when he is not responding in ways that we think are appropriate. Now that has its place, but God also wants us to listen listen and 
I would be the first to admit that I am not a good listener either when I pray. I need to get better at that. I don't come to tell God what to do or how we should do it. Even if I did that, I should still pause afterwards to hear what he has to say back to me. Is God asking you to be a better listener? Fourthly and finally, is God asking you to join others in asking him to repeat today what he did before? God may very well be asking you to do that. Are you prepared and willing to do that? Recognizing that very often God waits for us to ask before he asks. Now, as he surveyed the terrible moral and spiritual climate around him, I'm told that William Wilberforce wrote this, and I quote him. My own solid hopes for the well-being of my country depend not so much on her navies or her armies, nor on the wisdom of her rulers, nor on the spirit of her people, but on the persuasion that she will, I'm sorry, that she still contains many who love and obey the gospel of Christ. That is where my hope lies, he says. I believe that their prayers may yet prevail. And you know, history records that not too long after he had prayed this prayer, that his country experienced one of the great revivals in modern times, in which thousands of people were converted and brought to Christ. I believe that our prayers may yet prevail. And so I join Habakkuk, and I ask you to do the same, to pray, Lord, repeat in our day the things that you did yesterday. Because what you did yesterday gives us encouragement, but it doesn't really help us for today. We need to hear you and see you doing something in our day. Let us pray together. Father, show us how, show us how to respond. Lord, I'm so glad that Habakkuk responded to you in a way that was appropriate. God, show each of us this morning, through the help of the Holy Spirit, how each of us must respond to what we have just heard. God, we pray for those that have been waiting and waiting and waiting on you for a long time. They have been crying out to you night and day for you to change something, do something, come through, and yet it seems that you are silent. Lord, give them hope today. Help them to wait a little longer. Give them the grace to wait. Father, for those, that you've, those of us that you're calling to pray to you, show us how to step into that role to become intercessors asking you to do the very things in Brown's Chapel, at Brown's Chapel, that only you can do. 
God, give us the wisdom to be faithful stewards by doing whatever we can, but Lord, realizing that it is God who gives the increase. And so, Lord, help us to direct our frustrations, our complaints, our prayers to you, and then listen to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, let each person leave this building today encouraged that God is still in control, that whatever they are trusting and hoping you, in you for, even though they may have to wait for it, that there is a time that you have set to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.